Would you travel without data? Enter a stranger's house in Sri Lanka? Or use Google to make decisions on where to eat? In this episode, Sarah B and I geek out over finding the magic in traveling solo. Between the two of us, we've been to over 65 countries, and we swap travel stories from Myanmar to Budapest and explore how social media has changed travel for better or for worse. This was so fun to record. It'll be just myself, you, Sarah, hanging out for the next 30 minutes. Let's go. Welcome to Millennials with Machetes, the podcast that is guided by one question. How are millennials hacking their way through the thick of life? Hi, Trailblazers, JQ here. I'm your navigation guide slash host, and if you're ready, let's start swinging at these shrubs. I'm Sarah. I'm 24 years old. I was born in Winnipeg, but I've done a lot of moving around since then. I I grew up in Saudi Arabia primarily, and I've been in Vancouver since I was about 13 now. Awesome. So you travel quite a bit. How many countries have you been to? seems like you have the travel bug. I haven't actually sat and count the number of countries I've been to now, but I think I'm around 30 or so. Sweet. Tell me about how you got exposed to travel in the first place and what triggered the travel bug for you. I grew up in Saudi Arabia and in the summers there, all the expats would get the stipend to travel anywhere because the summers were just so excruciating hot. I think that's really when it started because my family and I had gone to like Hong Kong and Egypt and the Netherlands. And so coming to Canada, I settled into Vancouver quite well. And I'd kind of forgotten that part of me until I went on my study abroad. And that really took it to the next level because it wasn't so much anymore traveling with the fam. It was this independent live on your own abroad with a bunch of other university students in Germany. So that's really when love for travel elevated. That's awesome. I didn't actually know that you guys got a stipend to travel during the summers. So you got paid to travel. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty cool. The companies that you find in Saudi Arabia, the ones who hire all the expats, they got dough. So they have money to do a lot of those fun things. Not a common case, but Yeah, I think I was fortunate to have that experience. You mentioned a few family trips. Before we jump into what I'm really curious to start picking your brain about, you mentioned Netherlands, Hong Kong. Tell me a little about about maybe like your favorite family trip. What were a few memories from that? Mm -hmm. Definitely mine would be Egypt, just because I remember in social studies back in Saudi Arabia, we did a lot of like the Egyptian era. And so being at the pyramids and finally seeing that in person, I felt like, you know, the coolest elementary kid in the school because I had actually seen the pyramids up close and personal and the Sphinx. And then there's also like a beautiful place in Egypt called Sharm el-Sheikh. And it's just like... The Sharm el-Sheikh? Sharm el-Sheikh. A very Arabic uh, I, I name. I wasn't even close. <laughs> Sharm el-Sheikh. Sharm el-Sheikh, yeah. If you say it, Arabic. Sharm el-Sheikh. Try it again. <laughs> yeah, you're almost there. <laughs> what, what is that? Uh, yeah, so it's just basically a, a city just on the coast of the water, and it uh, borders the Red Sea. So I went into the Red Sea and snorkeled for the first time. That was a highlight and let myself float. So that was really, really memorable. How, how old are you at that point? 
I think I was about eight or nine. Around That's a there. baller. So you're yeah. eight or nine years old and you're just <laughs> snorkeling in the Red Sea. Yeah. Um, not sweet. a worry in the world right <laughs> <laughs> wow I, I feel like that would have really triggered just seeing something so cool for the first time i can see how that would trigger a travel bug down the road of i want to see everything for sure so let's fast forward jump right into it thinking back to your latest solo trip give me an overview of where you went the different places when was it how long was it Mm-hmm. So my very first solo trip, that was to that was while I was on exchange and it was just a few days, not anything extensive. I went to like Madrid for the first time and kind of hung out there by myself. But my biggest, longest solo trip was more, more recently in Southeast Asia. And that was like a three-monther. I Got kind it. of did the regular route, you know, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Myanmar, Indonesia, the Philippines, Malaysia, Singapore. Nice. Everything the usual but less. Yeah, the usual suspects. That's so good. Okay, so you've given me a lot to to chew on there or threads to pull on. Let's talk about Madrid. You said it was while you were on exchange, so imagining you're in university, right? Yeah. And exactly. What did that first solo trip trigger for you? Or what was a big takeaway? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah. So when I was studying abroad, I usually had like a few friends that would want to do these often weekend trips with me. But this was the first time that no one had interest in Madrid. And I really wanted to check out Spain and see Madrid. So I kind of said, what the heck, I'm going to go whether there's someone with me or not. It was more of like, a, I need to do this for me type of deal. Because all of yeah, my girl. other trips. <laughs> Just being independent. Independent woman who need no other university students with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I say to myself, yeah, I'm still going to do Madrid, even though people can't join me. So I go on this trip and, you know, I had everything managed myself from like hotel flights by the way not hotel i'm trying to flex <laughs> hostel flights uh like, <laughs> you're like you're like yeah you know i booked hotels i still remember it. it was called cat's hostel and they had like a few cats running around and like a cat's hostel very, yeah check it out this is not sounds so ghetto i love it <laughs> yeah it's really cute hostel it's very hip but that was my first ever being alone, being solo. And what I took from it was I I finally got to understand what it means to seize the day and be the leader of your own itinerary. Because traveling with friends before, you know, you kind of compromise, you go to maybe a tiki bar that you didn't originally plan to go to. So it's Mm -hmm. a lot of give and take. But when I was on my own in Madrid, I was like, you know what, I'm going to stop because I'm tired. Or I'd be like, I'm going to get an empanada because I can. Mm-hmm. So you're the center of your own day and you really get to call all the shots, which I really enjoyed. I'm quite an independent person. So being able to have that liberty was kind of nice. Um, and then moving forward, fast forward in the day, like I, I did meet some really cool people from L.A., and I ended up hanging out with them for the rest of the trip. And they were such a good time. And and I feel like had I maybe not been alone, I would have never reached out to my little L.A. squad and made those kind of friends. Nice. And now you call it your L.A. squad. That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't even have an L.A. squad. So that's <laughs> that's next level. I love the fact that you bring up 
being the leader of your own itinerary and then doing what you want on solo trips. Um, but, but I also feel like there's this piece that you brought up right at the end about getting outside of your comfort zone to push yourself to talk to strangers. Mm-hmm. What was that like the first time in terms of how you were reacting to that? Or like, it's like, there's a bunch of people, I'm just going to go talk to them. Did you have to, you have to hype yourself up at all? Or what was that like for you? Oh, for sure. I would say that I'm a extroverted introvert. So it's easy for me to be social, but I sometimes don't have that desire to, you know, chat someone up. But mm-hmm. knowing that I'm by myself in Madrid and that it would be maybe just a little bit more fun if I had someone to like explore with, I think that that was the kind of the trigger behind it. And also the fact that I'm in the middle of Madrid. I'm probably never going to see anyone here again. It kind of gives you the courage to take that first stab and say, hey, just just a little hey can go a long way, you know. Mm-hmm. It can lead to so many things. And so that's exactly what happened at the hostel. I was I was working on my map. I had like a map. I was sitting on my bed had the map open. And then I just started chatting with the guy who was reading a book. And I was like, hey, what are you reading? And then we started talking and he invited me up to the museum with his buddies and a little hello can go a long way. Yeah, that's so good. And I feel like I often hype it up too much in advance in my head of, oh my gosh, I got to go say hi to this person. And like that conversation in my head before I say hello is really like the most fearful part. It is. When I, you know, trigger that high quicker, it just gets you into the conversation, into real life so much faster. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like jumping into a pool. You just got to be like, three, two, one, and just jump into the pool water. Yeah. Yeah. I remember this time I was in Vietnam and I was at the end of my Southeast Asia trip and I had hype. I was lonely, but mm-hmm. uh, this was back in 2013. I was in my hostel room and I, I could hear this person talking on the phone in, in the room next to me. And I had spent like, probably like a solid 30 minutes just thinking I'm like should I go say should hi I do it? Should would I do it, it be yeah. weird if it's 10 30 at night isn't that weird if I go say hi and knock on someone's door am I'm I like, gonna be I creepy to yeah exactly <laughs> and, and then it turns out it was creepy because I knocked on the door and she was like uh I'm just talking to my family right now I'm like okay BRB cool. talk to you later <laughs> but uh, to your point, there's so many other times where, you know, you do find an L.A. squad, right? <laughs> totally. it, it depends on the time, yeah. Right time, right place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember in uh, New York, I was in New York for Halloween a few years ago, and I got a Malaysia squad at my mm-hmm. Airbnb. Okay, I don't oh, have a I Malaysia just, squad. <laughs> I just joined the party, and then we did, like, mm-hmm. a parade. Like, we went down into the New York parade, which is 30 blocks, no right? Yeah, that was dope. That was um, awesome. Tell me about Southeast Asia a little bit more. Particularly, let's start off. You said, well, I said, oh, you went to all the usual suspects. But one of those countries is not actually that usual. Uh, let's talk about Myanmar. So Myanmar, yeah. You're, you're, you're female, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Myanmar has <laughs> connotations. Yeah. Right? Tell, tell, let's start there. What was it like when you told people that you were going to Myanmar? Yeah. So before I had gone to Southeast Asia, I kind of knew what countries I was going to check off. I'd shared a bit with coworkers and friends and family, of course, saying like, yo, these are the countries that I'm going to visit. Myanmar was definitely the one that, you know, struck people. First of all, it's not, you know, it's not a common touristy place. No one really 
goes to Myanmar on a family trip. It's, mm-hmm. And especially in recent history, there was a lot of, you know, genocides happening at the borders. So I would tell people that, you know, Myanmar was on the itinerary list. And usually my my immediate reaction to that would be like, oh, what? You're going to Myanmar? You know, there's genocides, right, happening? And for me, that actually put a bit of fear inside me too, because I had no idea what to expect going into Myanmar. But when you hear all these like negative stories and, you know, you're alone as a female, it kind of gets to you. Like, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of nervous when I got on the plane going to Myanmar, but I knew I was going to do it because first of all, the genocides happened in 2017 or so. So it was, it was over by then, but you know, some of that still has like a lasting effect, but. Which is pretty, which is pretty recent too. 2017 is not a long time ago. No. If this is 2020, yeah, three years ago where, yeah, yeah. And I did know that there might be a risk of higher crime or violence, but, but you, you don't really know until you go somewhere, right? Because you could experience the same level of violence in Vietnam, which is supposed to be, you know, this new backpackerville. So Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really let it get to me that much because I, I knew so much of what the beautiful sceneries, everything that Myanmar had to offer, I wasn't really ready to sacrifice that just because I, I heard a few, oh, there's genocides happening. So yeah, yeah, I took a shot yeah. with that one for sure. Uh, you said you don't know till you go. Exactly. I feel like that's, a, that's such a good takeaway. You don't yeah. know till you go. That's my new Instagram bio. <laughs> you don't know till you go. <laughs> uh, so you're, you're in Myanmar. You're hyper-conscious, I'd say, just because everyone's hyped it up. You you get there. Maybe this is regardless of gender, but were there any things that you that were top of mind for you in terms of safety throughout that point of time where you're like, oh, I should be more aware? You know, one thing I will say, as soon as the plane landed in Myanmar and as soon as I saw the taxi drivers and the people, I like instantly felt relief because I was like, this isn't as scary as people made it seem. And so I'm sitting in this car and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to be as cautious as I was before. And and that just means like, I'm very like particular about where I keep my passport. I'm not like one of those people you'll see who just has their passport on their pillowcase. Like it's usually on me. My money's on me. Um, where, things like where that. Is that? Where, where do you keep that? It, yeah, I, I have Your that. Goods. My goods. <laughs> I don't know if I want to tell people. People are going to mug me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, I have this travel pouch. So you just keep it under your clothes. Yep. You got a fanny pack. Basically. But it's a little thinner and it goes right under. It's a discreet fanny pack. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. You're a runner, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen those flip belts, but when you run, you know, you often don't have any pockets or you don't want to jangle your keys the entire time that you're running. And so, so uh, (laughs) I bought this thing called a flip belt that just sits in your waistband. You can fit a passport, your phone, your money, your keys, et cetera. And so when I travel normally, I put it in there and yeah. So I totally get that discreet travel pouch thing. That is so smart. I've never thought of that, but yeah, it does the exact same thing. And yeah, I should get one of those. (laughs) There is a downfall to having those though. What's the downfall? Is it open? No, because you flip it inside your waistband. So like the um, holes are on one you. side of the, yeah. the belt, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you want to buy something, you go in and then I'm like, oh, um, I don't have any like, beer one back. Sec. I need to get my money. <laughs> and then I just shove my hand in my pants, grab the money and then <laughs> pay them. And they're like, where, where did that dollar bill come from? 
they've probably seen that a lot. You know, people fishing in or yeah. <laughs> one sec. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about another one that for me raised a lot of flags as being dangerous because I lived there, but you loved so much. So Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. I lived there. Did you grade... live there? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Fun fact. Yeah, I never knew that either. Yeah. I'm learning I, so much about you. Wow, okay. <laughs> I did uh, I did kindergarten and uh, preschool there. And so I, yeah. I would hang oh. out with the elephants in the streets. So, yeah. No, wait. Which part in Sri Lanka? Colombo. Colombo. Nice. To your point about Myanmar and the genocides, mm-hmm. Sri Lanka was going through Tamil tigers blowing the city up at that time. So that's my memory of that. And because of that, I'll never go back. But it's safe now. And to your point about Myanmar having genocides in 2017, but now it's safe. You were thinking, oh my gosh, of course I'm going to go. That was so long ago. Right. And me, it's like 25 <laughs> years later. It's like, no, You're still it's thinking dangerous. about the tigers. <laughs> the Tamil tigers are going to get me. Tell me about your Sri Lanka experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Sri Lanka for me was a dream. But also to your point, Jay, like, I don't know if you remember those church bombings that happened in Easter a few years ago, but mm-hmm. I kind of got some feedback around that. Like, you know, Colombo's not so safe. And I think the common theme here is people will say that about a lot of places, but you don't know till you go. <laughs> you don't know till you go. <laughs> but yeah, no, for me, Sri Lanka was a dream. It was, it was just so gorgeous. The people were so nice and you could actually tell that they were going through like a lot of hardship, actually, just because of the church bombings. You know, whenever like disasters or tragedies that happen like this occur, it kind of deters people from ever traveling there. So they they got a really hard hit with tourism. And yeah, Sri Lanka was amazing. It's just got everything. It's got the ocean. It's got the jungle. It's got the elephants. Like what more could you ask for? Ocean, jungle and elephants. Yeah, (laughs) that's like the perfect recipe for an amazing trip. The holy trinity (laughs) of trip travels. (laughs) You did a you went into a stranger's house in Sri Lanka. I did. I did. Was that the right trip? Am I remembering that correctly? Good memory. Yeah. So the story behind me entering a Sri Lankan home was me and the guy that I was traveling with at the time. We we really were looking for like a moped or just like an e-bike to just coast the beaches around with. And there was just no shops that had mopeds or e-bikes. I don't know why. We were in Nangombo, which is on the, it's a beach town. So anyways, we asked a tuk-tuk driver to take us to the closest, you know, whatever, wherever we can find a moped. And he says, oh, why don't you come to our house? Because I have a moped that I could lend you. And we kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay. So we drive to this guy's house and he asked for one of our passports as a deposit. And we took the bike and we went out and used it oh, for two hold days. On, hold on. <laughs> he took your passport and it's this random dude with a moped. <laughs> I know. He's like, yeah, I know. just pass me that passport. <laughs> and, uh, I'll give it back to you and you give me back my moped. Is that the, was that the agreement? Yeah, I didn't do it, but the guy that I was with, he did. So I was like, you know what? If this is the risk you want to put, I can still leave the country, but maybe you can't for a while. <laughs> so Nice. So you, you delegated risk? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, <laughs> he, he kind of signed up for it. I didn't I didn't really say anything. I was hoping he would just, you know, 
yeah. and he did. So, nice. you know, but you know, sometimes you can just read people, although that's not always true, but with him, we felt, we saw his family, we saw his, we saw his little girls running around. We saw his house. We, I think that gave us a bit of assurance. And then, you know, we had his bike, which was worth however much. Mm. And then at the end of it, he was like, okay, when you return the bike, how about you come over for a dinner? And we were like, oh, that's such a nice gesture. And that also gave us a bit more security that this guy's legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we end up going over for dinner on our last night. And it was just so great. We just all sat down on the floor and had nice Sri Lankan curries and talked to their family who barely knew English. The guy himself knew English because being a tuk-tuk driver, you interact with a lot of tourists. But Mm. it was just such a wholesome experience. It was truly, truly so great. I'll never forget it. That's so good. Earlier you brought up, you don't know till you go. And I feel like this (laughs) adds on to that word. You go where the locals are. Yes, yes. And that picture that you painted of, of being in their home on the floor, eating the food that's yeah. home cooked, right? Without that's so... spoons or forks. You know, we had our hands in there, which was also like, whoa, this is really, really, really authentic. Oh my gosh. That's the best way to eat food, by the way. Yeah. Pick yeah. Out. And that's my way. Yeah. So with going where locals are, how do you feel you try to balance that between oh, there's this place with 5,000 Google reviews and they're all five-star because everyone's going there, that should be really good versus going into a stranger's house that you've never met. Mm -hmm. How how do you balance those two opposites? In my travels, I really do like to socialize with locals, support locals in any way that I can. To your point, Jay, 5,000 Google reviews, you might see it for like this cute cafe that's really got hip bamboo everywhere and blasting Ariana Grande in the speakers. But to me, that's not really traveling because if if I wanted that, I could get that on commercial drive in Vancouver, right? Yeah. So when when I'm traveling, I do I do like to come across something that's more local because you can just walk by and see, hey, it looks like a lot of locals are at this joint. Why don't I just mm-hmm. try it? You know, you're not going to risk your life trying food that's from a local joint. Yeah. My favorite travel day ever was in 2013. I was in Bangkok and I had randomly, I was at my hostel and I decided that day to just not use my phone at all. And I picked a temple on the other side of the city that I just wanted to get to somehow. Amazing. Yeah. And spent the entire day just wandering through the streets of Bangkok to your point about being the leader of your own itinerary, stopping mm-hmm. where I felt like right along the way. Yeah. The food was amazing, even though I had no idea any preconceived notions of, oh, does this have a 4.6 star re- review or a 5.0 yeah. review? Yeah. Have people posted it on Instagram or not? Yeah. And so becoming less reliant on that reinforces the magic of, of travel. A hundred percent. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that in terms of how else other people's input has deteriorated the magic of travel? Mm -hmm. The first thought and picture that comes into my mind was at a time when I was in Cambodia. Jay, have you been to the Angkor Wat? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So for me, when I was there, (laughs) oh, yeah. When I was there in 2019, we all went for the sunrise trek to go see the sunrise over the what? Yeah, the 5 a.m. call. And I was so excited to go and see this until I got there. Oh my God, I have never seen so many people 
gathered round with their phones in the air, just waiting for the sun to rise. Mm-hmm. I took pictures of the crowd instead of the, the sunrise because I was like, wow, this is just this has taken the magic out of it 100 percent because this is supposed to be like a sacred place and a few mm. people walking around. But it was tourist buses with people waiting. It just felt so overwhelmingly busy and crowded. And I just, I, it took all the magic out of it. Yeah, it just felt so, so, so artificial. But that was like one example of how the Angkor Wat is now an Instagram icon. Mm-hmm. Whereas before it was more of a sacred, religious, historical thing. That was really deteriorating. But also there was a time where in Cambodia as well, the same trip, I got to go to the floating villages as one of my day trips. Just imagine, Jay, going through this river, the poorest shacks you've ever seen on like these wooden stilts with kids barely clothed swimming in this muddy water. It was just so overwhelming and heart-wrenching to see all this. And I was on like the top deck of a boat. All of a sudden, this girl starts in the middle of the top roof deck posing obviously for some sort of social media outlet, but she's just posing with her sunglasses. And it was just so ironic because she looks so glammed and so dolled up. And here is the poorest village I have ever seen. And it was just such an oxymoron and I felt sick to my stomach. Things like that, that come across your travels can really suck the life out of you or, or suck yeah. the, the love for travel sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally can relate to that. Last year, actually, we, my wife and I were in Budapest in Hungary. There's this monument called Choose on the Danube Bank. Mm-hmm. It's a memorial for all of the people that really lost everything. They were made out of iron, <laughs> so some sort of metal. <laughs> and here is supposed to be this somber memorial. And some people are just taking selfies of them, putting their foot in them, trying them on. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Because really, it's, it was designed to be a reflective state of the human condition and in how we treat each other. At least that's how I interpreted it. And it was like, man, you guys don't get it. Exactly. There's a time and a place. Totally. Mm-hmm. I, felt, I felt the same. I, I had gone to Auschwitz, which was, you know, the concentration camps. And that place, I didn't even have my phone out at all. I don't think I took a single photo just because... I was really just trying to take it all in. But still, you'd see people taking photos as if they're in Madame Tussauds museum trying to like pose with everything. But I think, yeah, there's there's a time and a place for for all of that. And I think that gets to like the meaning of travel. Is it all just about having a good time and seeing the sights? Or how do we learn from our travels in terms of different perspectives? What was the trip that shifted your perspective the most in terms of the differences between the Western world and developing countries? Because I feel like there's a lot that we can learn from travel about the state of our world. Definitely. A story right now that pops into my head was when I was in Cambodia. I think I was going from Siem Reap to Phnom Penh. I think mm-hmm. that's how you say it, Phnom Penh. Phnom Penh, yep. <laughs> and we just stopped over in the middle of nowhere, basically. We got to, you know, stretch our legs, go to the washroom, pick up snacks. I see this one thing that really I will just never be able to erase from my memory. And it was this almost like a shack the size of a handicapped stall, a North American handicapped stall. There's four pieces of wood holding up barely a sign. 
it looked like it was like a laundry business because she had clothes hanging everywhere. And it was this one mom, I think eight children hanging and dangling around this little shack. To me, my heart just broke right there. I think of the life of luxury that we have in comparison to a to an image like that. That's really where travel opens your eyes and you realize how much of a life of privilege you actually are living when you see that face to face. Wow. What a picture. I remember Cambodia being, for the longest time, it was my favorite country in the world after I went because the the people were the poorest there, but yet the most content. They were the happiest. How much do we really need, you know? So true. You're absolutely right. They're usually the happiest people you'll ever see. They can just make so much out of circumstances in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's this point about living with less. Yeah. Obviously, we have a raised awareness across the world, I'd say, where mm-hmm. the minimalist movement has taken off, where we're thinking, oh, how do I live with 100 items total in my life? Mm-hmm. A lot of people have taken that on. And I, I feel that comfort in, in knowing that at the end of the day, if the world collapses like right now. Um, <laughs> it is collapsing, yeah. <laughs> then there's not a lot that we actually do need apart from our health, the family and friends around us, etc. So So true, so true. Yeah. Um, health is wealth. Health is wealth. <laughs> so many mantras coming out of this. Yeah. Oh man, we could throw all of these onto t shirts. <laughs> <laughs> health is wealth. I like that one. Yeah. Sarah, have you heard about the the Traveler Century Club? No, what is that? You you mentioned earlier that you weren't sure how many countries you've been to, like around 30-ish. The Traveler Century Club's like this nonprofit organization where you can't buy your way in. You have to earn it. Once you've Ooh. been to 100 countries, they let you in and you just get to hang out with other people who've been to 100 countries. That's so, <laughs> so exclusive. <laughs> so exclusive. Get to just swap stories, which is so oh fun. Oh my gosh, you know? I, want, I want to meet my life partner like that. <laughs> you're you're both 80 years old and like oh wow we where have you been to <laughs> i hope i don't sound like that at 80 <laughs> <laughs> i will <laughs> yeah but that's you know uh, an idea in terms of like oh why would i track how many countries i've been to i'm 30 now and i've been to 33 Mm. And I think at the start, I wanted to to get to as many countries as possible to have like one country for every year I was alive kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think now that I've hit it, the, the minute I passed that moment, it was this trigger point for me to be like, do I really want to blaze through all of these countries? And, and maybe it's about spending time, spending more time in one area. What are your thoughts on on that? I'm so behind that. The whole concept of slow travel versus fast travel. When I was in Southeast Asia, I did come across that turning point where I was like, I have two weeks left. Do I check off another country off the list and hit up Brunei or Laos or go back to somewhere where I hadn't quite explored enough of? And ultimately, I decided, yeah, I'm going to go back to Thailand and check out the islands because I had done Bangkok. I had done Thai and Chiang Mai. but that was the northern bit of Thailand, but I hadn't done the islands. Mm -hmm. And I decided, you know, it was it was the right time to be there because they were celebrating Songkran, which is their New Year's. 
And it's basically like this crazy day where everyone's just throwing gallons of water at each other. <laughs> that sounds so much fun. It's honestly such a blast. I love to not have a strict itinerary of I'm going to book everything in advance. And I like to have that flexibility to say, you know what, I can cancel my accommodation now and I'm mm -hmm. going to check out Thailand. You can gauge that wherever you do go. If I hate a place, then I can just be like, nope, I'm not going to do it. And if you love a place, I'd be like, yep, I'm going to stay here for a while. That's so good. And that ties into being the leader of your own itinerary again, where you're determining how often and how long you're staying in a place. Yeah. You don't buy data when you travel. I don't. Yeah. Why? <laughs> it's a good question. I feel like a lot of people have interrogated me for this. And it's also so funny, too, because usually abroad, I don't know what's with Canada, but we've got very expensive plans here. But in Europe and as well as Asia, phone plans are dirt cheap. But for me, it's not even about the whole price tag thing. It's just about being offline. And for me, the more important things on my phone is, you know, having maps, which I always will download in advance. Mm -hmm. If I had the phone plan on me, I just know that I'm one of those people, if I have something, I'll use it to what I can. But if I have four gigs of data, you best believe I'm going to check Instagram like when I sit on the bus. Like, for example, when you're on a, a train in Singapore and instead of scrolling through your feed as like I normally would here that's usually first instinct. It's more about immersing in the environment you have. So looking at people or the scenery, looking at the window, the advertisements, I just feel like you can really immerse yourself in your surroundings if you're not constantly being tempted to check your phone. And for me, mm -hmm. that was that was just not having data altogether. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very intentional choice that you've made with data. And I, <laughs> I've had trips where I've been too connected. Yeah. I'm like, yo, Check me out, day 18. Here's where we are every second of the day. I think I'm guilty of overdoing it too much. So I, I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Where are you heading to next, post-corona? Uh, yeah, tell me about it. COVID is killing me right now because I see all these flights to South America right now, which is probably my answer, by the way, for like $300 round trip. I'm so tempted, but it's kind of a risk game to buy the ticket right now. But yeah, South America is definitely calling. Nice. What? Where in South America? I'm thinking Peru, just because I want to do a lot of the hikes, like the Rainbow Mountain, Machu yep. Picchu. So Machu Picchu. <laughs> Great. Oh, by the way, I took the lazy man's way up. So I just... Someone carried you. <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah, <laughs> I can see it. Sitting on a donkey the whole way. <laughs> Onward. Okay. Yeah. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging out. This is great. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. I learned a lot from Sarah about finding the magic in traveling solo. Number one, be the leader of your own itinerary, giving myself the gift of freedom to go between slow and fast travel. Number two, you don't know till you go. I took that as don't carry my preconceived notions about what a place is like which ties into number three, expect the unexpected by being okay to wander. Sarah did that by letting go of data, which ties back to living with less, both at home and abroad. On another note, this podcast thing is still new to me and I'm constantly learning. So if you thought there was something I could change, please reach out to me. My name's JQ, that's J-A-Y-K-I-E-W. 
You can find me at jq.com backslash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, take a quick minute to leave me a rating or review. Until next time, keep swinging at those shrubs. JQ, out.